title of the game, Darksiders 2, doesn't exactly sound like the colorful and expansive universe that it actually is. This is thanks in part to developer Vigil Games and also thanks to composer Jesper Kidd. Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Jesper used lots of vintage analog synths, but he also used live elements like stringed instruments and voice on this soundtrack. Turns out, though, one of my favorite songs on the entire album was basically a live jam. With Darksiders 2, Jesper was given free reign to create a soundscape for the story, which involves the character Death from the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. But opposite Death are the immortal creators of the universe in Darksiders 2, the Makers, giving Jesper the chance to score darkness versus light throughout. Also, we have two copies of the Darksiders 2 soundtrack to give away. You can enter the drawing for a chance to win one at classicalmpr.org slash topscore. The entry period ends on Thursday, December 20th, 2012. So let's talk a little about the Maker's theme, because there is an element in in Darksiders 2 that's almost kind of like a Celtic element, and I, it seems like you reflected that really well in that theme. Yeah, I mean, that was something that came directly from Vigil Games. They were um, they had this idea that Celtic music was the way to go for the, for the Maker's area. Mm-hmm. And after I saw the, um, the game and the, the graphics and the concept art, I totally knew what they were going for and why that would work. And to connect with the with these with this race of of, of creatures like the makers, they're pretty much eternal, you know? They mm-hmm. are the oldest race in the game and I think there's something about that type of music that you can work in that it has some kind of really truthful kind of sound to it. And I think that type of music style really lend itself well to to kind of express all that. You used a number of live instruments, it seems, for the Maker's theme. And one of the things that I enjoy very much about how the piece unfolds is that we'll hear the melody on the whistle or we'll hear it in cello or we'll hear it on violin or something. You kind of take us through different iterations of this theme throughout the piece. And and I really like the flow. There's definitely a, a lot of variations going on, and I think it's, um, it, you know, I, I wanted to create a theme that, that can lend itself well to different interpretations, um, mm-hmm. and so that was uh, definitely a conscious decision to, to come up with a theme that, you know, could be reflected in, in different kind of arrangements. A number of pieces I'd love to talk about individually, and we'll get to them in a minute. But you mentioned the concept art and seeing the game. And when I got a chance to see the game for the very first time, it's a lovely game. It's so colorful and pretty. And and I wonder what were your initial thoughts when you got to see some of that art early on? 
I was blown away by the 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 colorful art style of of Joe Mad. I thought it looked like nothing else, mm-hmm. and I started to, you know, put the pieces together. You know, as far as why they are, they kept telling me we want something that's unique, something that's new. You know, the fantasy music genre usually has a certain type of sound. Yes. And they did not want that type of sound. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I started wondering right at, well, right away, I was like, okay, this is awesome. This is, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that um, doesn't come along all that often where, where, where the developer says, just go as far as you can. Mm-hmm. And you go far. And they're like, well, you can go further. <laughs> you know, so it, it was really interesting. Um, but when I saw the graphics and saw how you know, colorful and unique it was, I was like, okay, I totally get it. You know, I get why we're, we're going to do it this way and it's going to be awesome. pieces that um, I love and I, th- I think it speaks a little bit to how just the unique qualities of the score is is a piece called The Corruption. It just does this wonderful build of kind of it has this kind of tragic, almost melancholy intro, but then it goes into this kind of hopeful theme around the middle of it. I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm speaking of here where you kind yeah. of change pace a little bit and, and yeah. it gets hopeful. You know, the corruption was interesting because to me, when that, you know, guitar comes in, that to me was the the sound of the corruption. And I, I love experimenting with ways of having not just a theme represent something, but having the actual sound represented too. You know, we all kind of know how, how, how it works when you do it with, with a theme, theme for the good guy, bad guy, this and that. Yes. But when you start experimenting with the actual sound as well, um, it can be the sound and the theme or it can be one or the other. But I find that very interesting. I think it's something that doesn't get explored that much and, and it's something that fascinates me. So that, that I, I call it the sound of the, the guitar that comes in is more the corruption to me and then the um, the makers element that comes in that turns everything hopeful is more kind of like the makers viewpoint that good will always triumph evil. Into Eternity, you did some vocal work, and I know you love to use voice and manipulate it after the fact. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the singer you worked with and how you chose to implement that voice into the score? 
you know, I I'm I'm very picky about the vocalist I I, I work with. You mm-hmm. know, I have a great working relationship with with Melissa, and um, I I like using her. Um, we you know, I when I write uh, vocals and work with Melissa, I write the parts for her because I I know mm-hmm. her so well by now her range um so so that was very much the case of into eternity you know she was able to 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 follow the melody so precisely and get into the the feel of what i was looking for um that you know there is some manipulation but it's much more um you know in the background it's minor sure it's it's like this this type of performance was really just um everything i had uh, i had hoped it would be One of the things that I enjoy also about, I guess maybe the mix. I'm I'm not sure which which it is, but it's very intimate sounding uh, mix where it feels like you're kind of just right there. That is very interesting because this is actually the first score that I have mixed myself in a while. This score was just so there were so many layers. It was, it was so complex that. I needed to spend a long time on the mix and mm. um, decided early on that I'm going to be mixing this score myself. It might sound simple, but there's a lot going on underneath, and oh, yes. that, that's that's really what I what I also love working on, try, trying to make things sound as simple as they can mm-hmm. and be um, a kind of a strong statement in some ways. But I mean, that's what I feel about classical music. You know, you you have to really hear these classical you know masterpieces a lot of times before you start picking up the details. Yes. That's also really what it's like to to score for games. I mean, you want to write music that can handle being listened to over and over without driving the the player crazy. And yes. um, it's kind of in some ways the opposite approach of uh, pop music, where you're trying to you know present the entire idea <laughs> at once, so yes. people can go out and buy that song, mm-hmm. um, or even um, music for film, which also has to work the first time you hear it, because yes. it's like, it's not like, oh, the third time you see it, mm-hmm. now you understand what they did with the music. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. there might be movies like that out there, but that's mm-hmm. not the mainstream. Another piece that I have listened to on repeat many, many times <laughs> is called Crystal Spire. Yeah. And this is like the musical representation of a crystal spire. If you heard, if you thought, what would it sound like? I think they would write your piece because <laughs> it's like so, so wonderful. Tell me about yeah. that piece. And, and this is, in my opinion, quite different than some of the other uh, uh, tracks on, on the record. Yeah, I think that piece is probably one of the most far-out pieces. Um, 
just in a sense of how it was was written, and I mean that 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 is almost a live jam. That whole piece. Oh wow! Um, that you know, I'm using a, a lot of um, you know odd vintage electronics, and and that is a sound I, I was able to get without um, you know too much post manipulation. A lot of it is real time. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was really a, a, a cool process, um, and and then there's the analog synths and stuff like that in the in the background as well. Um, I have the uh, what is it? The um, one of my uh, the Monty Polly Cork is playing in the background on that one. And, um, <laughs> wow. But but yeah, it, I like that piece too. It, it was interesting because it, it you know to me Dark Siders too um, is is a experience about the afterlife. To me, it was more about um, scoring the afterlife and then maybe light and darkness. So obviously, Crystal Spire is is more about the light. You know. Not not all the time that you get to kind of be that that creative on a on a big kind of entertainment project. song that I'd like to talk about in particular is um, Story of the Makers. Yeah. There are a couple of times where you actually kind of bring it to rest with a little bit of a cadence, and it's kind of the first glimpse we have into what I would call traditional tonality, for one. And so yeah. it really draws your ear to it because of that. And being in a yeah. minor key, it's, it's just, it's, it's really sad. I want, you know, well, just to hear about your mind frame there. Yeah, I mean it's sad because the makers are dying, mm -hmm. you know, and and it at at this moment we don't know about you know it wasn't written for oh but there is hope you know right. which of course the makers always have hope that's one of their strongest assets I think, mm. but the story focuses very much about the the how the the makers is a eternal race but they're dying and you kind of mm -hmm. like has to that, that's that's the, a lot to grasp right there so yes. but that track in general was was more about capturing something that was magical and fantasy mm. and um, that's that's really the the whole kind of uh, overarching you know feel there trying to to find that um you know when does music become you know magical i'm not saying my music has magic in it but <laughs> i'm certainly trying to go in mm -hmm. that direction mm -hmm. uh, uh you know to to construct something that makes you feel oh this is a magical place you know Can you think of some techniques maybe you tried that you hadn't tried before or even, I mean, I know you love to always tinker with sounds and come up with new things that way, but what are some of the, the new things that you stumbled upon that um, you're excited to continue working with? This was my first score um, using um, 
my studio that's been um, an ongoing process but i have really gotten all my like analog instruments from the the 70s and, and 80s mm-hmm. I, I really got to use those on this score and and in a way i think it's the you know it's the first time i really got to use a lot of them um the, these instruments are things that you look for and you look for and then suddenly maybe something becomes available and you have to act on it and, and it's mm-hmm. not just something you can go out and buy you know you, you yeah. have to really sometimes it takes years before you can you can find that one instrument so i think i i you know i have you know the instruments that i've been looking for for mm-hmm. this score it's, it's not that i bought them for this score but i finally have the instruments that i have been looking for for a while and there's a lot of like you know string synthesizers in there and vintage vocoders on there like the you know the crystal spire track ha- has a lot of those types of mood where you know it goes into more like abstract kind of singing into devices and these kind of things and mm-hmm. it becomes its own kind of organic thing i also use a lot of vintage mixers and stuff like this you mm-hmm. know i love mm-hmm. that whole sound and uh there's a lot of cs80 in there which is the mm-hmm. synthesizer that uh, vangelis uses a lot like you know blade runner that was basically written with a cs80 and uh, yeah. of course some other instruments as well but it's it's one of the main instruments mm-hmm. um i got a prophet 10 finally um <laughs> You know, which is also a monster of an analog synth, then that's also all over that soundtrack. Well, it's just a pleasure, as always, to talk with you, ACS Fur. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Thanks for listening to Top Score from Classical MPR. I'm Emily Reese, and our technical director is Sam Keenan. Upcoming episodes of Top Score will feature Daniel Licht of Dishonored. I don't know why I say that. It's Daniel Licht. Daniel Licht of Dishonored, Enon Zur of Rift, and composer Penka Kuniva. If you have comments or questions, head to classicalmpr.org slash topscore. I think it's because of classical music. I'm always saying things like Bach. That's why I want to say Licht, you know, Licht, instead of Daniel Licht. Anyway, you can also find us on Twitter and Tumblr at Topscore Podcast. Don't forget, we are totally giving away two copies of the Darksiders 2 soundtrack written by Jesper Kidd. You can enter the drawing for a chance to win at classicalmpr.org slash topscore. The entry period ends on Thursday, the 20th of December, 2012. Thank you.